two, take each case individually. So for the last week, week and a half, as we've looked at this, I've showed you various reasons that people struggle with poverty. What, what made them poor? Before you give them money, you need to determine that. And today, uh, we're going to look at a few cases of people that are struggling with poverty, and it's not their fault. What we've looked at up till now, maybe they're lazy. Maybe it was poor planning. Maybe they have a riotous, you know, the party life, and they've... You ever have one of those mornings? <laughs> Man, this is wonderful. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Hey, man, this is victory. We're, we're, we're off to a good start. If the room parts in the middle, right? I got a I, <laughs> red chairs. Is this the Red Sea parting? Is that what that is? So, all right. So as I was trying to say, where, where was I? What was I trying to say? Some, sometimes it is their fault and sometimes it's not, right? So these cases today, uh, especially the first few, not their fault. Amos 5 and verse 12. Amos 5 and verse 12. It says here, for I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, God speaking to the people. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Now notice that last part. The poor people would come to the gate and say, here's my case. Can somebody please help me? I have been cheated. Somebody has done me wrong. And when you go to the gate, that's where the judges would sit, right? The judges of Israel. They would hear your case. And he says, these poor people have a right to be heard. They have been, as you've seen earlier in the verse, they've been afflicted. They afflict the just. So they did nothing wrong, but they're suffering for it anyway. He says, these people have a right to be heard. So look at Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 22. And I hope it's all right. Like I said, this morning, we've had one of those mornings. One of the cables on the sound table went out. We can't get this plug to work. Chairs are falling over. Man, it gets a bit warm up here, so forgive me. I'm going to take that off for now. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 22. It says here, rob not the poor because he is poor. See, you're taking advantage of his bad situation. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. So again, I'm bringing your attention to the word afflicted. They're going through problems, but in this case, it's not their fault. Something happened in their life, some uh, calamity, some disaster. They, it wasn't poor planning or sin or laziness, nothing like that. He says these guys have a right to uh, your consideration. So take your Bible, come to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22, and I'll show you now some places in the Scripture where we read about the afflicted people. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 22, and let's get verse number 22. Exodus 22, verse 22, the Bible says, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. God has a soft spot in His heart. You're going to see it throughout the, old, well, throughout the Bible for three particular groups. Two of them are mentioned here. Widows and let's call it orphans or the fatherless children. God has a soft spot for those groups. The other group, we'll talk about it in a moment, is in verse 21. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him. So somebody from another country coming in. 
a visitor, if you will. Uh, God has a special place in his heart for those kind of uh, situations. Now, with the widow and the fatherless, they are missing that authority figure in their lives, in their homes. They're missing what we would commonly call the breadwinner. And as many of you know, I think we all know people that have gone through such situations. Maybe you personally have experienced it. Maybe you know folks. Life gets extremely difficult. Extremely difficult for a lady who has children and the father passes away. Her husband's now gone to manage the household, make money, raise the kids, and handle all the responsibilities of both father and mother. That is a lot. Now, in such cases, it's easy to imagine how she and that family would struggle with poverty. So when a widow comes and says, hey, I'm struggling, especially as a church, we have a responsibility to hear that case out and determine how to help. So take your Bible, come to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 5. You can hold Exodus if you'd like. Forgive me. I should have mentioned that just a moment ago. 1 Timothy 5. And let's begin reading at verse number 3. We're going to go through this passage quickly, but it's good as a church if we see this. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 3. It says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. So in this chapter, there's a distinction made between widows and widows indeed. The widows indeed are the widows in need of this special honor of the church supporting them. And then there's another category for a woman who has lost her husband but is not, uh, let's say, applicable for this help. So verse 4, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Who are the first people that you turn to to help the widow? The, the children. And if the children are no, aren't, aren't there, or maybe there are no children, then you turn to nephews and say, can anybody in the family help out mom or Tani, you know, in this case. Verse 5, now she that, is, she that is a widow indeed and desolate, she has no other options, trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. So when we, if, if somebody comes and says, please help, I'm a widow, then we look to see uh, that lady's status in connection to her church. Her spiritual life, her walk with God, is there one? Right? So these are the questions we would ask. Verse 6, But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So you look at a lady, she's lost her husband, maybe she's received quite a sizable insurance payout. That happens. And then she starts living the high life. She wastes all of that money from the insurance payout or whatever money her, her husband you know, had left over in a savings account, she wastes it all. Then she comes to the church and says, please help me, I'm a widow, I'm poor, I'm desolate, I have no other options. We would ask these questions to say, what, why is it you're a young, young-ish lady and you had this opportunity to take care of yourself and you just blew it? We'd have to take that into account. In verse number 8, it talks about those of the own, their own household. So it goes back to what they mentioned in verse 4. If there's children or nephew, help them. In verse 9, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, 
well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. So the widow that would be, let's say, standing in line would be acceptable for this type of ongoing support from the church is a lady who has been faithful in her church, sorry, helping others. She's over the age of 60, so there's really not a, how can I delicately put this? There's not a, a, a lot of hope of her remarrying. Is that a nice way to say it? Okay, I'm trying to be delicate there. For for those of you that are slightly advanced in age, please don't give up hope, right? There's always hope. (laughs) But you you understand what what they're aiming at here. You want to find a lady who has had uh, a heart to help people. She has been sowing this sort of generosity. Now it's time for her to reap some of that. Verse 11, but the younger widows refuse. Refuse what? Financial help. Now, if I can point out one, one little part in verse 9. Go back up to verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number. Into the number. What's, what's the number? This is the church keeping records and saying, okay, we have a, a list of people that receive money or help or food, clothing on a monthly or on a consistent basis. And, she, and Paul's saying, don't take another widow onto that list if she doesn't meet these requirements. Now this speaks, this is another issue, but I want to mention it while we're on it. The church needs to be organized. The church needs to keep track of who's there and who's not, who's involved, how they're doing. This is why we do things like church membership and ask for some details so that we can put a little structure to it and have a list that would, have, would, be, would be applicable in these situations. So verse 11, But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. So a younger lady, she loses her husband. And now you start giving her free money. She hasn't, she hasn't uh, washed the saints' feet. She hasn't lodged strangers. She has just lived under the roof of her husband, and now the husband's gone. Now if the church starts giving her free money, there's a good chance because she did not have good Christian character to begin with, she's going to take that free money and start to waste it. And it would support a wicked lifestyle. She'll wax wanton. That means she'll fulfill all of her lusts. And in so doing, she would be bringing punishment onto herself, and if the church is giving her money to live that lifestyle, we are now complicit with that. So verse number 13, and with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Now why would they be doing that? Because they have time. They have nothing else to do. They don't have to go out and work. They don't have to take care of anybody. They're just getting free money. By the way, ladies, you don't have to be a widow to learn something from this. Right? Just because the husband's there and you're comfortable at home, be careful not to just start wandering about. You know, there's a person in the Bible that wanders to and fro. You may not want to follow that example. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. There's a word for this in Afrikaans. Yalla say skinner. She starts gossiping. She just goes from house to house. She has nothing else to do. Did you hear what so-and-so? Did you hear this? Did you hear about that? 
And if the church is supporting this, obviously it's just going to make it worse. Now verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry. Of course, in this case it's remarriage. Bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, of course, that adversary is the devil. Verse 15, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Verse 16, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So I've read the whole passage so you get the idea. There is some structure in the church to take care of people that have been afflicted. And there, we don't just indiscriminately say, okay, you've lost your husband, here's money. There are some, let's call it qualifications to this. And I think you can understand why we would consider that. So whatever the affliction is, if it is widowhood, if that child has been orphaned, let's talk about natural disasters, right? A certain area, maybe a hurricane or a typhoon or an earthquake or whatever that accident, you know, somebody has a car accident. That's not, their, that's not a sinful thing. So what do we do? Do we always have to help out? Well, not always, but we should say, man, they're, they've, they've run into some hard times. Let us consider if we help out, is this, are they going to use this money responsibly? Is there reason to think that? And we would at least hear the cause out. I'll give you a biblical story for this. The Good Samaritan, I think we're all familiar with that. I'm, I'm not going to turn you to the verse, but here's a man on his way to Jerusalem and he gets beat up. He gets attacked by thieves. That's an affliction, right? And here in South Africa, we can appreciate such an affliction. And, and I'm, you know this. I mean, this is true. P innocent people all the time are just driving down the road and, you know, hijacking, carjacking, all that kind of stuff happens. They're getting robbed. And then the Samaritan, you know the story, the Levite passes by and then a Jew, a Jew passes by, or a priest rather, and no one wants to help. Finally, the Samaritan passes by and says, this guy's in a bad, bad way, let me help him out. He puts, he puts him on his, his donkey, walk, you know, gets him into town, puts him into an inn, a hotel for a night, and gives the keeper some money, and he pours oil and wine into the wounds to take care of him. So you can see he's pitching in, he's doing something about it as much as he can, leaves a little money, and then on he goes. He, he doesn't say, I'm going to adopt this person and take them on full time and pay for everything they need, right? But in that situation, I'll do what I can to get them over this hump. So you as an individual, we as a church, when we find somebody that has been afflicted in this way, we would also look, what can we do to get them back on their feet, in the case of a widow, especially an older widow, there may not be any hope of getting back on your feet full time. That's where the church, if, if she doesn't have family, the church might say, we will regularly support you from the, for the rest of your life as long as you are a faithful church member. Right? We can take you into that number. And with orphanages, this is why you see so many orphanages going along with churches and so many missionaries going out to start orphanages because they are afflicted. And from a young age, they're set at a disadvantage. Now, especially, it's, it's tough as a church. We wouldn't expect a young kid, right, with no mom and no dad to just wander into our church and become a faithful member. But we might, we might, through this member, knowing this member who knows somebody who's having a tough time and the kids are in bad shape, this is where if we learn of a particular situation and we know, you know, we, we can help out, maybe we would. So we will take all of those things into consideration. All right, come back to Exodus now, <clears throat> chapter 22. Verse 
In verse number 21, we'll talk about strangers for a moment. Now, just like we saw with the widow, there isn't one easy answer. You have to take several things into account. Are there kids? Do those kids have enough money? Have they been faithful to church? What, how old are they? All of that stuff needs to be considered. And then this situation is also a bit complicated. Verse 21, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. A stranger coming into another country, he's already set at a disadvantage. Like the fatherless, like the widow, they're, they're, they're stepping into life with a disadvantage that it's going to be tough to overcome. That stranger, he walks into a new land. Normally, he doesn't own land already. He doesn't have anything there, usually. He is a refugee in many cases. But let's make a distinction between somebody running from danger in their country and finding refuge here compared to somebody running to this country just trying to seek treasure. There is a difference. Somebody who could work in the country where they're from but says, I could make more money down there. So just coming to seek treasure. So we can't just lump all strangers into one category and say, let's help them all the same way. That's, that's not the case. I think here in South Africa, we're familiar with xenophobia. We're familiar with uh, strangers and foreigners being mistreated. But let's, and guys, we don't condone any of that. But on the other side, let's also think this through smartly. If people from other countries come in illegally and start taking South African jobs and doing it for half the money or a quarter of the money, that is undercutting the economy here. It is damaging this country. So it cannot go ignored. And I would be hesitant to advise anybody to, to get on board and tolerate and help out in that situation. But I also can... I can understand some exceptional cases. If I were facing the situation that I'm familiar with Malawi, if I was there and saw no hope of feeding my family daily, no opportunity of sending them to school, yeah, I'm, I might also try to sneak in here illegally. So I'm not going to be so quick and harsh to judge. I might also do the same thing. So you say, Pastor, what do we do then? If we find somebody that is here illegally, do we just give them a job and pay them under the table? Do we send them back? Do we report them to home affairs? How do we handle it? This is why it's a tricky topic. Every situation is going to be a little different. You're going to have to hear them out and say, you know what? In your case, I advise you to buy a bus ticket and go back home. Because you came illegally, but from what I'm hearing, you could actually do something back where you're from. So go home. That's the right. And then the next guy you talk to so you know what? If you were to go home, you would not make it. You wouldn't make it. There's no way. So I'm going to help you out for a little bit. Try to, who knows, maybe educate you, teach you a skill, then send you back. Right? That might be the answer. Sometimes they've been here for 20 years. And they don't have anything back home. They have established a life here. You know what I might do then? Let's try to get you legal. Let's, let's help you get through the process of getting the paperwork. So every situation is going to be a little bit different. Nevertheless, if you meet somebody from another country and they're asking for help, don't simply just reject them. At least give them an opportunity to explain their situation. And it's a great way to do missions in reverse. The mission field is coming to you. <laughs> it is. Right? We, we've had Zimbabweans, Malawians, we've had Zambians, we've had Mozambicans pass through the church here. We've had Nigerians pass through the church. 
and they need a little help. We've given them the gospel. We've given them discipleship material. And in due time, they've made their way back to their countries. And a few of them have actually written back and said, I made it safely. Thank you for the help. I've been reading the books and, you know, passing out tracts. And I'm not going to say that they've gone on to start churches or anything, but it actually made a difference. So don't be so quick to just dismiss it. All right, let's come to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And verse number 23. <clears throat> Matthew 18 and verse 23. And this will be the last case that we look at. So I'm going to read this passage with you. It says in verse 23, Therefore if is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now it's hard to put this into a rand figure, but we're talking, if you, you know, made the equivalent, millions of rands. And the idea of this parable is to say that this man owed a debt that he simply could never pay. There's no way to realistically envision him paying off this debt. He owed 10,000 talents. Now this would denote extreme poverty. If you're in that deep of debt, yeah, you're not getting out of the hole of that poverty. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. It's okay, you can't pay back the debt, then give me everything you do have. You ever played Monopoly? Yeah. Right? And the person lands on boardwalk and you own boardwalk and they don't have enough to pay, you know how that ends? You get everything they have, right? If I understand the rules correctly, maybe that's just house rules, but if I understand it correctly, I just took you off the map. I now absorb all of your wealth. And, and I mean, I'm not saying Monopoly got it from this, but it's the same thing. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. In this parable, the king, right? The Lord, who does this represent? Help me out, somebody. God, God represents the king. And this poor sinner represents you, me, we owed a debt we could not pay, right? I mean, overall, that's kind of the lesson we're learning. Now, I'm reading this parable to help us with our current topic of how to help the poor. So you understand the overall teaching is about forgiveness of sins and so forth, but there is a debt involved, so we're going to talk about how it applies to poverty. First option, God says, pay your debts, pay your bills. Listen, you put yourself in this position. You made this bed, now you lie in it. You made bad decisions. You ran up the debt. You ran up the bill. So, it's just right to say, pay all that you can. Give up everything you have to pay the debt. God is not wrong to demand this payment. That is called justice. That's called righteousness. That's called being fair. See? Now, this sinner, this servant, falls down and says, please hear my case. Just, I have no reason you should forgive the debt, but just please help me. Verse 27, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's what forgiveness is. It is loosing somebody from a debt. 
Now, we use the term ball and chain. You know, that's a common little thing for husbands and wives. But think of that ball, that massive weight being your debt, your poverty. And then the king saying, forgiven, he's snipping the chain. He's saying, you're, you're free now from that debt. It doesn't mean that the debt no longer exists. It means you no longer have to pay it. The king is absorbing that debt. You understand? Now, verse 28, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. Now, a hundred pence compared to 10,000 talents, we're talking millions and millions compared to just pocket change. You understand? hundred pence is not that much in the grand scheme of things. But nevertheless, hundred pence, and he laid hands on him. Now, he didn't ordain him into the ministry, right? He's, he's grabbing him by the throat, as you'll see. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. Now, here's a guy who had the privilege of the king hearing out his situation and having compassion and saying, You know what? The debt was your fault and you should pay, but I'll help you out this time. I'll do you a solid. You don't have to pay. This guy goes out then, and instead of learning from that lesson, grabs the first guy he can find and says, pay me everything. He, his heart is very hard, and he hasn't learned anything about compassion, forgiveness, and so forth. Verse 20, uh, 30, rather. I'm uh, sorry, 29. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. That is exactly what the first guy said. Verse 30, and he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Okay, turn me down a bit. That's getting kind of loud. He says, he says you're going to go to prison, which was common in these days. You go into prison and the family right, would have to gather together the money until the debt could be paid. That, by the way, still happens in various places in the world today. In Malawi, it happens like that quite a, quite a bit. But you see what he's doing. He's not taking into account what his neighbor is going through at all. We ought to learn from that, that at some point in our life, God, God did us a solid. When we didn't deserve any help, we created a mess for our own lives, and we went to God and said, God, this was all my fault. Could you please help me? I haven't earned your, your grace. I, you can't earn grace. I, I don't deserve your mercy, but please. So when a sinner comes to you and says, please, I've been hooked on drugs. I've been in prison. I've, I've ruined my life. I'm trying to get things back on track. I'm trying to change. Would you please give me a second chance? God gave you that chance. It should turn your life around and you should do something with that second chance all the way down to the next guy who asks for help. You give him that second chance. So how do we handle Poverty and the poor that come in and beg and say, listen, I've made a mess. I'm, I'm hooked on drugs. I'm addicted to alcohol. I got all these problems. Our first go-to move should be generosity. Our first go-to move is compassion. We're looking for a reason to help, not for a reason to not help. Does that make sense? So we don't want to sit there with a critical ear saying, okay, I heard one thing wrong. You're out. But I, I want to see if there is a legitimate way I can help you. Now, as we've already looked at, they deserve to pay for their mistakes. But maybe our compassion can help them turn the corner. Maybe. 
So look at the response here. He, in verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest, thou, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's a good question. So how do we help the poor that come asking for, for assistance? That's it. We remember how God treated us. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried. David, even though he was a very wealthy man, David said, when I was poor and needy, yet the Lord thought upon me. While I was poor and needy. So if God's going to think on us when we're having a bad day and we've messed ourselves up, then we ought to extend that to somebody else. Give them a chance. Now, if they abuse your kindness, you give them that second chance. You forgave them the 10,000. And then, after that, their heart hardens. And they go right back to what they were doing. You might want to, to take into account and handle with wisdom the next time they ask for help. Because now they might start to get it in their head, no matter what I do, you're just going to keep forgiving me. No matter what I do, you're just going to keep helping me because you're a Christian and you have to help and you have to give. Whoa, wait a minute, time out. God never said that I have to become an ATM machine. A non-thinking, you hit the buttons, I give out the money. That's not it. I will give you a chance and, and, and a big chance and have compassion, but not, not to the point of foolishness. So verse 33, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. You know what that Lord did? He says, okay, that debt that I forgave you of? Now, now remember, he's using an earthly example here he says okay since you obviously did not learn your lesson there wasn't anything that changed your heart in this situation the debt stands pay the debt what what would we learn from this as it pertains to our topic if somebody comes and wants assistance and we help and they don't change their heart just gets hard and now they go demanding from everybody else now i say okay i don't think i'm going to help the next time I said yes this first time, but not the second time. Because you've, you've taken this help and it's pushed you in the wrong direction. Guys, we have had many, many occasions where we've tried to help people in the church here. They've come to church. They've had their stories. We've been patient. We've listened. We've tried to prayerfully consider these things. We have purchased them bus tickets to get to, what can we say, uh, places of refuge where they could have constant supervision to get to clinics where they could get cleaned up, sobered up. Multiple people, not just one or two, dozens of people we've tried to help. And not just small things. We've helped thousands and thousands of rands we've put into this. And there are a few that have turned the corner. Thank God. And then there are others. They took that money and it went right back to the wrong stuff. They tried for a day or two. And that is, that is heartseer. That's heartbreaking to hear that. But they're not going to be able to come back and say, that church didn't give me a chance. 
We don't want to take those sad stories and let that harden our heart to say that's it because we've been burned a few times. We're just going to stop helping people because the next guy you help, he might, he might take that help, turn the corner, and be a changed man. We want to have compassion because of how God has treated us. People, you know, they ask sometimes, what do we do with the guy at the robot? Because, you, you, folks, I think I know all the people at the robots now. <laughs> Even yesterday, Brother Dobbins, he was uh, in town just moving, moving about, and somebody found him, and they gave him a tract, and the guy said, oh, you're from Pastor Mike's church. Yeah, I know. I, they, they know us. They know us. And it's not just that they know me. They know you guys because you have stopped You've rolled down the window. You have sometimes parked your car, got out and talk, talked with them, gotten to know these folks. I know because you've shared the stories with me. They've shared the stories with me. So what do you do with that person at the robot as you're driving by? Do you just keep the window up and ignore it and act like they're not there? Here, here's how I handle it. I'm just going to give you this advice. You do with it as you please. When I'm at the robot and I see that person asking, Lord, if you want me to give, just tell me. I will. But without having an opportunity to hear the entire story, right? I want to guide my affairs with discretion. So if I don't have a chance to have a conversation with this person, I am not going to just roll up and start handing out money. Because otherwise, we would run out of money. There are that many people asking for help. So I roll up and I try to be sensitive to this. Say, Lord, I don't know the story, so I don't want to help. They may abuse the money. But if you tell me to give, I'm happy to do it. God, it's your money anyway. So if God tells me to, to give, the window comes down, and I've had it before where they start to tell me their story. You get, oh, thank you so much. I'm going through so many things, even at the robots. I hand them the money, hand them a tract, and say, God bless you. I've got to go and roll the window back up because I'm not going to finish that conversation. See? But if, if God tells me to do it, I'll do it. So let, let the Holy Spirit trump whatever your normal settings would be in these situations. If the Spirit of God tells you to do something, by all means, be obedient to that. But other than that, you have to use special discretion and wisdom and take each case individually. Amen. All right, that's as far as I can take you with this subject. It's complicated. It's not as simple as we would like it to be. But please let compassion and discretion rule the day. All right, let's all stand if you would. Father, thank you for the advice we're able to get from your word, and we thank you that one time in our life we owed a debt we could not pay, and you sent your son to pay that debt. In it, we have been eternally loosed from it, Amen. removed as far as the east is from the west. And Father, please, might that act of kindness um, change our behavior might that compassion also then be given to the next person down the line. Father, help us never to grow hard-hearted to those around us, those that have made mistakes. We've been there. We've been there. Lord, thank you for the great advice from your word. We pray that you bless the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys have some fellowship.